You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. First thing I have to ask you, Spud, is when did you get the nickname Spud? Like, what? When? At what point did people stop calling you Anthony, and they started pretty much only calling you Spud? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a story to it that uh, my uh, my mom and dad friend that came to the hospital with them. Uh, it's in '63. The Russian satellite was out, and there was the Sputnik. And uh, one of my dad's friends goes, "He has a big head like a Sputnik." And you know, as you get in the neighborhood, the little kids wouldn't say Sputnik, and they thought everybody was saying Spud. So I got Spud from day one, but it's not on the birth certificate. <laughs> your name is Anthony. <laughs> I I guess I wrongfully assumed I, I should have started with how did that come about? I. I assumed it had something to do, like us short guys, there's always a nickname for us because of our height, and I guess I thought that it had to do with that, but <laughs> it, this is a, a day one of your uh, your existence thing. Yeah, we black folks had this great sense of humor, and I got a <laughs> call to Big Head when uh, from day one, when uh, 63, when the Russian satellite out was Sputnik, and, and uh, you know, kids started shorting it to Spud, and I grew up, so I was cognizant enough to you know, learn your real name is Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you have friends who don't even know what your real name is because it seems like you only get called Spud these days. Oh, absolutely. I can, uh, you know, a lot of them and uh, people come around that, you know, know me go, Anthony, they're like, who, who is <laughs> <Who's> that? <laughs> <laughs> but I have fun with it in the airport sometimes because some people point at you and go, you look, you, what's your name? And I say, Anthony. They're like, you look just like Spud Webb. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm just playing with you. <laughs> uh, Spud, you, you are DFW zone. You you were born and, and grew up in the Metroplex. And my understanding is that you didn't necessarily grow up in the best of circumstances. How, how would you describe <laughs> your upbringing and, and the challenges that maybe you and your family dealt with? Well, I'm still apologizing to my parents for asking for some of the stuff I asked for. No, no we didn't have any money, but... My first six, seven years of my life, I grew up in the West Dallas Projects, uh, Fish Trap. And then uh, we made a lateral movement. Uh, my dad started working in South Dallas, and we moved to Oak Cliff, and I, that's where I grew up. And uh, they say this famous song out called Holland Hill, That's My Hood. Uh, I grew up in that neighborhood, and it's uh, right across the street from, uh, well, now Paul Quinn is Bishop College, which is a real, 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 you know, poor area. And I'm lucky that I had the uh, Dallas Boys and Girls Club that built in our neighborhood when I turned, I think, maybe nine or ten years old to kind of save some of us. How did basketball, and, and maybe that was all a part of the Boys and Girls Club experience, but how did basketball help you uh, through those times, maybe serve as an outlet and, and obviously eventually a, a career. But early on, uh, how did basketball help you as a, as a child growing up? Well, the boys club, actually, man, we had a guy up there named Alvin Jordan. And we thought he was like, you know, the biggest person we ever seen in our lives. So we were scared of him and whatever he says goes. And he took us into the boys and girls club and, you know, taught us, you know, all the sports, the uh, sportsmanship, the arts and crafts. 
and uh, all those type of things. So our boys club was just games rooms and you know uh, arts and craft room. So we didn't have a swim pool, gym, uh, all that type of stuff. So we had to uh, make shift that. But um, getting started in basketball is. Uh, I seen uh, Dr. J play for the first time. I guess it's one of those nights you up because it was a rerun that they played because every game didn't come on, and I got to see Dr. J. And you know you can't play like him, so you just go out and do those type of things. But uh, all my buddies played uh, basketball, so that's the reason I went out <laughs> in the seventh grade after football season. Walking home and no friends to play with. All of them played uh, basketball, so that's why I just went out for basketball in the seventh grade. When did you know that you were pretty good at that basketball thing? Well, uh, my uh, seventh grade year, uh, the guys didn't have the grades and conduct a couple of them to play, and us guys that bust up butt and ran up and down the court and did what the coach said. I got to play the first game, and I scored. 22 points that uh, first game I ever played in in seventh grade and fell in love with the game. So did I read it right, though? <clears throat> you mentioned the, the guys uh, who you know got in trouble. Would, would you have been on the team but just maybe not played as much, or would you not have even been on the team <clears throat> if they were able to stay in their lane and, and mind their P's and Q's? That's a good question because <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of good guys that uh, was on the team and uh, that were very good. Okay, Spud, I, I imagine over your career a number of times, as a matter of fact, I know this just based on college opportunities and where you got drafted and all this stuff, that you had people who looked at you, looked at your size, and just doubted you. Uh, how did you deal with all that? Was that something you just naturally were able to say, you know what, screw these people? Or was it a process for you to learn how to deal with people looking at you and, and not giving you the fair chance that maybe you deserved? Yeah, you just never got a fair chance because, you know, it was always bigger, better, faster. It's always been that. That's nothing new. And, uh, and uh, like, uh, I didn't play but varsity one year at uh, Wilma Hutchins because, you know, he probably thought I was too small or couldn't play, whatever he, uh, the coach there thought. And then I played the one year, the, my senior year of varsity basketball, and there was 26 points. So I always fought that. And then going to college, you get no scholarships. And a guy came along named Jerry Stone and coaching at Midland and asked me that one to Midland. Like, I have nowhere else to go. All-American, all-city, average 26 points. And every, everything you can do as a senior, they didn't let that time. They didn't let us make up McDonald's All-American, but we was all-state and all that. But then you get to Midland and win the National Junior College Championship, MVP of the tournament. We probably lost one game in conference and uh, no scholarship. <laughs> so uh, I guess some guy at NC State uh, changed his mind, and I was the only point guard without a <laughs> scholarship. And Tom and Marco asked me to come visit NC State and play two years there. And and uh, lucky enough to play for the infamous coach Jim Valvano. Uh, well, I guess about the guys – now and, and and probably then uh, aspire to be NBA players. They get that big time scholarship out of high school. They're getting all the attention, and they just feel like they're invincible. and And they don't need a, a backup plan because they're NBA bound. And 
Uh, for some guys, it works out. Other guys, it didn't. For you, uh, not playing more than, as you mentioned, one year of the varsity basketball and not getting a, a big-time uh, college opportunity, did you still – were you still pushing for the NBA, or were you just trying to play basketball as long as they let you? Like, was that still, hey, you know what, I'm 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 an NBA player, and they're going to find out eventually? Or did you just think, hey, I'm going to play through college, and then I'll I'll figure out what's next? Kind of where were you as far as your uh, your your desire to play in the NBA at that point in your life? Yeah, because you know you didn't have all this uh, social media stuff to look up stuff to see what's going on. But my my I went off of just hey I, if I'm doing good against these guys that are going pro at North Carolina State and college and and All Star College games then I can play on the next level and uh, you know you, and back then they had like I don't know how many rounds of getting drafted so I ended up getting drafted in Detroit in the fourth round there's only two rounds now and uh, the Bill Blakely uh, uh, came to me and goes you know he want to be your agent and all those type of things. And he was a coach at North Texas for a couple of years where a couple of my uh, friends out of my neighborhood ended up going to North Texas. So he said, the gold charters are calling, but he said, I want you to play in the NBA and you can play in the NBA. He probably in that 1% or maybe the only guy that ever thought that <laughs> I could play in the NBA. So uh, he would call around to a different teams trying to see. And I think uh, when Detroit drafted me, uh, the Lakers and then Atlanta Hawks were the only other two teams that were interested. And this was back when you know the draft was you know now it's two rounds. Back then it was more. There weren't many guys. You were a fourth round pick, right? There weren't many guys in the fourth round who ended up making it. And and even if they did, they certainly didn't have the career that you had. Uh, you know, longevity and success and 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 whatnot. Uh, when did you feel like you finally? Uh, we're, give, we're, we're settling in and all of a sudden, hey, you know what? This this height thing isn't, people aren't really talking about that. They're just, they're they're looking at me not as Spud Webb, the 5'7 basketball player. They're looking at me as Spud Webb, the, the basketball player, the point guard. Did did you ever feel like that ever happened? And, and when did that happen, if it did? Well, it really didn't happen until I went to camp with Atlanta and uh, uh, started to uh, see that they had all these scores with Dominique. They had, you know, Kevin Willis, Antoine Carr, Doc Rivers. They had all these scores, Randy Whitman, and like, there's nobody passing the ball. <laughs> so I figured if I could pass the ball and get people shots, that it, you would get noticed and people would appreciate you. And then, uh, you know, that training camp went on and kept playing well, but they had a, the guy that they was talking about picking me with. Cedric Tony as the uh, guy that was going to make the team, but uh, I end up. Uh, let's see how to get this straight. The first regular season NBA game I saw, I started in and had 18 points and 10 assists. <laughs> so I don't know how many guys can say that the first NBA game regular season game I saw. I started in and scored 18 points and 10 assists. So growing up, you know, you just didn't see live basketball. Like we had a Mavericks and kids and, and uh, high school and college kids and uh, college kids getting ready to go pro get to see an NBA game. I, I'd never seen one before. So, so the, I played in it. <laughs> the, the, so, the, so the first NBA game you saw was your first ever NBA game as a player? 
as a player. Did you watch anything on TV? Like, were there guys that you maybe followed or, or uh, looked up to growing up, or, or not even really in, in that capacity? Like I said, we we didn't get to see a lot of games uh, because you know just they weren't shown, and you couldn't have the time to uh, look at them because you were doing other things. But uh, like I said, I saw Dr. J on a late night game because they used to show him late at night on Fridays that we see watch uh, the finals or a uh, Sunday uh, ABC game or whatever they played. And uh, that's how you seen your NBA game back then. <laughs> you just didn't have a lot of resources then. But I, I, I guess I can ask this uh, as a, a fellow short person. Did you take pride in being known as a short NBA player, or did it annoy you that everyone always constantly attached that to you? It annoyed me because everywhere you went, you know, because uh, of my jumping ability, it was always people want to see you jump. It never appreciated. Uh, the way you play basketball. That's why I stopped getting in dunk contests because it was getting so bad. And Doc Rivers go, it doesn't matter. You already did it. You had never live it down. And I'm like, he, he's not joking. It's like every building you in, you walk in, people want to talk about the dunk contest or they want you to dunk or they say they were there at Reunion Arena that day, which I had 100,000 people tell me that, <laughs> which is only holds like 18,000 people. <laughs> Someone's lying. Somebody's lying somewhere. <laughs> but I, I, I was not there, uh, so I, I will not claim that I was. Uh, do you like talking? And now that you're you're done playing, do you like talking about the dunk contest, or do you not like talking about it? Oh no, I I don't have any problems. Everywhere I go, I talk sports with with different people because around here, you know, in Dallas, I'm a diehard Dallas everything from Dallas Mavericks to Dallas Cowboys, Stars, everything. So uh, every Every time I go to the country club to play golf or the cigar bar, somebody's going to come over with a with you know a, a question in sports. So I live sports. I love sports, so I don't mind talking. You you could have won the dunk contest anywhere, but it happened at Reunion Arena, and we mentioned uh, you know more than mentioned this is where you grew up. So how extra special was it for you to win that? In your home, in your hometown, it, it, you know your your hometown's uh, arena. Well, it's extra special because you know if you mess up, that's all they're gonna remember too. Is that this kid came home and got in a dunk contest and couldn't dunk. But uh, I knew the repertoire dunks I could do. Uh, you know, it's extra pressure when you have to do it in front of your hometown. But I didn't know any better as a young twenty-two year old that was reckless and abandoned to to make. Uh, they keep playing in the NBA. And they actually asked me to be in a dunk contest like a week before. It wasn't like, you know, they gave me this where you can go on YouTube or go on this and see some dunks and all that stuff. It it just wasn't like that back then. So uh, those dunks I was doing down in South Dallas uh, uh, my senior year in high school and all through college when I come home and play uh, summer league ball. Now, is it true that you kind of sandbagged your your teammate Dominique Wilkins and and made him think that you really didn't have a whole lot in your your bag of tricks to uh, make sure that he you know he didn't come extra prepared, or is that just a myth? That's a myth because 
uh, I was busy trying to make the team. So after practice, you didn't have time to sit around like I see the guys today uh, doing the props, dunks, and all that. We were so busy trying to make the team that Doc Rivers and um, Tree Rollins and them would make us stay after practice and work on, you know, what they thought was our weakness. And then a lot of the older guys, like, uh, would, you know, want you to play them one-on-one and keep in shape. So you didn't have time to sit around and work on dunk contests. Who's the best dunker you've seen in that sort of a setting? And then who's the best game dunker that you've seen? Well, Dominique covered both of them for me because he does them in games. He deals them in dunk contests. He does them in warm-ups. <laughs> Sometimes we're, we would be sitting in film, you know, watching uh, our film against the other team. And we end up watching Dominique. <laughs> we end up we end up walking out the meeting up to the floor talking about man. I know we saw it, but to see it in slow motion or a replay of how he dunked on somebody was incredible. All right, now one thing that I don't think people, whether it, you know they just don't realize it or they didn't, they don't know it, is that you know you were an outstanding free throw shooter and. In one season when you were with the Kings, and it was the 94-95 season, not only did you lead the league in free throw shooting, but you shot dang near 94%. So uh, how much pride did you take in that, uh, You know, not only being a great free throw shooter, but being uh, the, the league leader in that category in that particular season? Yeah, when I played in Atlanta, uh, Doc Rivers used to get on my case. He's like, if you're going to play on this team uh, – we know he's going to be a coach anyway, that you need to learn to shoot free throws because at the end of the game, the point guard had the ball. And then Kazzy Russell, which played in the league, was our assistant coach, and he was a great free throw shooter. So after practice, all of us would, you know, wager on who shoot, who shoot the best, most free throws in a row or who make the most in a row before we would leave practice. And it paid off when I got traded to um uh, Sacramento, I, I took pride in uh, making free throws. Um, 94, I wanted to get uh, high as I could because at that time, Reggie Miller, Mark Price, Larry Bird. I mean, when I played, those, the top 10 probably free throw shooters, you know, only person I can remember that could probably come in there is Steph Curry now of having the highest percentage. And I take pride because nobody actually brings up that you won the percentage free throw shooting in one year. And that could be a quiz because you can say, who won the dunk, what slam dunk contest won won the free throw percentage one year? Nobody would get that. (laughs) I would, Spud. And after after broadcasting with you, you, I know the answer to that. (laughs) Uh, Spud, I was watching, I went back, you know, a lot of people. Uh, have been watching old versions, uh, you know, old games of, you know, this team or that team. And, you know, I, I wasn't alive when the Dallas Mavericks in 1988 took the Lakers to Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. And until the Mavs made the Finals in 06, I think it's fair to say that their Game 6 win over the Lakers was the biggest win in franchise history. So I went back, I'd never seen that. I went and watched it, and... I guess I'm not totally surprised by this. I, I know that the game has evolved tremendously, but 
in in that particular game, the two teams combined to take 15 threes. Now you're seeing teams take 15 threes. Uh, you know, by the midpoint of the second quarter, heck, the Rockets probably do that in a quarter. In the first quarter, yeah, and and it was you know Brent Musburger <laughs> was calling the game, and when Rolando Blackman would take an eighteen footer, Brent Musburger would talk about Rolando Blackman taking an outside shot or from the perimeter, and uh, it just it, it it was amazing for me to really see. I I knew the game had evolved, but to truly see it, and I'm curious, you played in an era where. Making one three a game was a lot. You know, Larry Bird, uh, I don't think ever made two threes per game. You know, on average. And now we're in an era where, uh, you know, it's normal if a guy's attempting seven, eight threes a game. What are your thoughts on the way the game has evolved, and do you like the way that the game has evolved? First of all, I'm gonna start off. I I, I really don't. I'm really old school. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just hard for me to sit down and watch uh, a guy dribble around 1,900 times until he get a shot. Um, all the threes. Um, I don't. I don't like it, but that's what the game is involved to. That's what we look for uh, with the legends, the guys that can shoot threes. And and uh, I I rather like they've been showing old school since everybody been sitting at home, and the guys come around and go, man, to make a turnaround jump shot and. Uh, you know, you come off pick and get a shot like you said, Rolando. It's like you're playing team basketball. I like what you want to play with a guy that just dribble around and shoot all the time. It's just hard for me to watch it. I have to watch it because of my job, but I really don't like it. And I re- really like uh, watching guys cause that play team basketball. So you watch Milwaukee, you watch San Antonio and and LeBron will make him play half court until he starts getting in the mood of just jacking threes. So it's it's kind of hard to watch, but, you know, that's what it evolved to a bunch of guys shooting threes. I think I was watching one game, and it was like 97 threes shot. I'm like, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's unbelievable. It. You know, now it's, it's, you, it, it's not uncommon to see a team take more threes than twos, and that was unheard of back in the day. Yeah, that's the analytics of the game today, and you know, I thought I'd never see a, a a team win a championship doing it, but Golden State is the exception. I think we we'll, won't see no team winning uh, shooting threes like that. I don't think. Spud, you played with some really, really good players. We, you know, we've already talked about Dominique Wilkins. Uh, you know, at the end of your career, very briefly on Orlando, when they had some some uh, top end talent, and then. Uh, in between your time with Sacramento and, uh, you know, you, you spend some time with uh, Minnesota. Uh, who's a guy who maybe never got the publicity that, like, a Dominique Wilkins got, who you just were always so impressed by? It, he was just someone who was a really, really good player, but for whatever reason never got that sort of fanfare and attention that some of those stars got. Uh, I mean, you could name a bunch of guys that uh, you thought that was uh, all stars or should have been starting. But uh, and like to say, when I was in Atlanta, played with Dominique Moses, Reggie Theus, Kevin Willis, Doc Rivers. I mean, I played with a lot of uh, good players, and then got to Sacramento with Mitch Richmond, which is all NBA for about four years. Uh, three of the years that I was a point guard there. I played with Kevin Garnett his uh, rookie year, and uh, 
Minnesota. And then when I was in Orlando for the short stint, they still had uh, Penny Hardaway. So, man, no, it's, it's, it's a lot of guys that, you know, that, that had really good talent that you would say, hey, if he was another team, he'd be a star. Like Kevin Willis, I played with Kevin Willis. We always thought that if he was on another team, he would be in the star. But because he was with, you know, Moses, Dominique, White, uh, uh, Doc Rivers, and things like that, that he didn't get the publicity that uh, playing 20. I think Kevin played 22 years. And nobody knew that. Yeah, he had an unreal career, right? Yes. Uh, still a good guy. We still talk today that, you know, he's got his clothing business. So I try to keep up with the guys, especially the ones that play golf. <laughs> Who, who's the best of your former teammates or, or guys maybe you didn't play with but played against? Who's the best golfer? That I played against or uh, played with? Uh, either one. Either one. Uh, Dominique can't count. I think that Georgia education comes out sometimes, <laughs> you know, right down the right score. But, no, uh, I play with Ron Harper a lot. Me and him are really good friends. Uh, try to win one of those five rings he got off of him. Uh, Oakley, well, we just let Oakley get in the car by itself, though. We won't want nobody to mess with Oakley. <laughs> Those guys, that's my group I play with. But John Starks is a really good uh, golfer. Uh, that Greg uh, Anthony is a really good uh, golfer that uh, I play with all the time when we go to charity events. But Lawrence Taylor uh, is really good. And if I had to pick one person to be my partner, it would be Sterling Sharp. He can play. Really? Yes. All right. And he tells you. He's just like his brother. Run his mouth. He tell you how good he is on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, yeah, you got you got. Uh, not only can he play, but he, they both can talk. Sterling and Shannon. Oh my God, they love themselves. <laughs> <laughs>